You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. This morning uh, is not Job. I um, will be preaching from Romans. So if you want to turn with me in Romans... We will tie this uh, to Job because Job uh, points us to Christ. I want to start reading uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 13, through chapter 5, verse 5. So if you give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is God speaking to us. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law or those who keep the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, that is to Jews, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, Gentiles, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God. Fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, And character produces hope, 
and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heaven, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we, we need to hear from you. Each person in this room needs to hear from you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would feed us with your word. I pray that we would uh, know the conviction that the law brings. And we would also know the incredible assurance that comes with Christ and faith in him alone. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would meet each person as they have need of new life in Christ and encouragement in Christ. Please, O oh Lord, be at work. Uh, do what only you can do, and that is to make uh, dead people live again. So we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look particularly at verses, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And the book of Romans is Paul's lengthy explanation to these Christians of what the significance of Jesus is and also where they are to place their hope. And the first part of Romans is about the crushing reality of the law, that there is nobody on earth who will ever be able to stand in front of God and boast and say, you should receive me. There's only one person who can do that, and that is Jesus. And so one of the things that Paul is doing here is trying to take our eyes from ourselves and look at Jesus. And in chapter 5, Paul has explained why you need Jesus and how Jesus is the solution. And now in chapter 5, he says, therefore, in light of all that Christ has done, I want to now explain to you the benefits that belong to the person that trusts in Jesus and not in all of their good deeds. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. And here's the thing. We'll try to connect this with Job as we've been walking through Job. The key point is Job is a book all about suffering and the goodness of God. And here in Romans 5, 1 through 5, is actually the same sort of question. is about the goodness of God and suffering as well. So we will look at that. So, faith... Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First notice that he says, we have been justified. We have been justified means that someone has, if you've been listening to Paul, someone has made us righteous somehow. Someone has made us right, because that's what the word justified means. If you've ever, uh, you know, 
been in an argument uh, with somebody over who knows, whatever the case may be, and you know, you then finally go and Google the issue under debate, and you realize that you were right and the other person was wrong, you have been justified in your position. You have been shown to be in the right. And Paul is saying here that we have been justified. That is so crucial. None of these benefits come apart from having been justified. And the first benefit that Paul points to, having been justified by faith, not by works, is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now, many people have very different experiences of their relationship with God. Some people don't really think about it and are not very troubled by their current standing with God. You know, day in, day out, unfazed by the fact that they have no relationship with God, that they maybe even stand in opposition to God with the way that they live. Some people, on the other hand, might feel very burdened by the fact that they cannot do enough good stuff. And so they are anxious. They not only, so you can have, you can be at animosity with somebody, but not feel the weight of it. You could care less. But there are some people that it bothers them when their relationship is not right. And so what Paul says here is that we have peace with God. That all of humanity, since Adam and Eve, has been at animosity and rebellion with God. But for those who live after Christ and have trusted in Christ, that relationship status has changed. There is now peace. The warfare has ceased. God is now reconciled, the war, the peace tree has been made. And very explicitly, Paul, in case we have lost sight of how this happens, he says it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ being our Lord. By being in Christ, connected to Him by faith, we are now at peace with God. And so, if your conscience is racked with guilt, or if you are unaware that you stand outside of God's will and desire for your life and what it is to be a human, both can have peace with God through Christ. Interestingly enough, Paul then says, as if he wants to make sure that we don't lose sight of Jesus, he then says, through him, verse 2. Here's another benefit that we have in Jesus. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That word access 
signals the ability to come into the presence of somebody who is higher, more powerful, more important than you. So no one here in this room can buy a ticket and simply fly to Washington, D.C. and then walk into the Oval Office without special permissions. You know, if you try to hump, hop the fence, run the green lawn, you will be tackled or shot or whatever before you can uh, blink, right? That, on the other hand, if the president invites you to the Oval Office, you might even get a nice escort, right? They'll pick you up at the airport. They'll drive you to the White House and they will let you in. And that is what this word access is indicating. You have been given a welcome into the heavenly throne room of the king of the universe to come and not as an enemy. And notice that Paul says, not only do we have access, but we actually currently stand with this access. That is a benefit that you have as a Christian. If you trust in Christ, you have that benefit that you stand right now with a full pass to come into God's heavenly room with the implication that you can ask for things. And this verse is an incredible encouragement and call for us to pray. Can you imagine if the president grants you all access to the Oval Office and even he might, you know, do whatever you say, he's at least going to listen, and you never once hop on the plane, never once pick up the phone, never once make a visit, people would think you are absolutely crazy and stupid. And yet how often as Christians is our life prayerless? We don't actually take advantage of the benefits of coming into the throne room of God. Especially considering that we were once, as Paul points out, hostile to God. And then he says, and this is quite remarkable, he says, not only that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If you've been reading through Romans, one of the things you note is that Paul says, in fact, that the glory of God is not a good thing before you meet Jesus. Because in fact, he says, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Previously, the glory of God was something that was held out there that you were to achieve based on the law. Here are the rules, and you as a human being are to keep those rules because your life was made to honor and glorify God, to make God look good. And rather, we have turned from that. We've done the complete opposite. And so the glory of God is no longer something that we delight in, but fall short of. 
But here, Paul is saying that because the work of Christ is so complete and so perfect, not only do we have peace and access, we also can rejoice. We can have joy in that glory, joy in the greatness and goodness of God. It's a good thing now for us, no longer a bad thing. So we can hope in the glory of God. And then here comes the really weird thing, and this is the thing that connects this to the book of Job. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. And as, you've been, as we've been reading through Job, you know that Job is not sitting there and he's not saying, this is great. It's hard, but, you know, I see, the, I see the silver lining. That is not Job. Job is wrestling with how on earth God can let him suffer with no apparent reason that he can see. He recognizes that generally people that do evil should suffer. But how is it that a good person, a person that honors God, is suffering? And the reason now Paul is saying that the Christian, the one that trusts in Jesus, that is in relationship with Jesus, can actually rejoice in their sufferings is because they know two things. One, it is not futile. It is not a waste of time to suffer. And we'll get there in a second why it's not a waste of time anymore. The second thing is, is that that suffering now has an explanation in Christ. Christ, like Job, was a righteous man who suffered. And his suffering has the, is the thing that has flipped the switch in the universe. Things have changed with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Suffering is no longer simply an indication that you are uh, in sin and done evil. Because Christ himself suffered on behalf of us. His suffering has become our salvation. And he now sets the model for us for what the Christian life looks like. So returning to the fact that our suffering is not futile, we rejoice in our sufferings, we rejoice in the glory of God, and here's the reason Paul gives, because we know that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The suffering now for the Christian, that suffering God will use he will use it all to shape you into a person that better reflects the image of Christ. And there will come times where you will suffer, not, not whether or not you will suffer, but when you suffer, and it won't always feel good. You will feel like Job sometimes, and you won't always feel like, this is awesome, I rejoice in my sufferings. 
But God, you can bank on this, that God will use that suffering. And that that suffering will shape your character. And as your character is tried again and again and again, more and more your hope will be towards what is coming. Because you hope in the glory of God, that one day you will see God, that your suffering isn't going to lead ultimately into futility and then standing before God and having to give an account for all of your deeds and have no Jesus there. And character produces this hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Why is it not put you to shame? Suffering is often an embarrassment. In the book of Job, Job actually, as he's engaging his friends, at one point he says, I am a laughingstock. Everyone is laughing at me. My friends are laughing at me. But here, Paul says, the suffering that we experience in this life after Christ is not an embarrassment. And Paul had a lot of embarrassing situations. Paul got beat, arrested, thrown in prison multiple times. And it's not like it's a badge of honor in his time and place to end up in prison. Even for Jesus. Like that doesn't really matter to all of Paul's neighbors and the people at Philippi or Corinth or wherever he ends up in prison. But it doesn't shame because God's love Here's the reason God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because God loves you. God loves the Christian. God loves those who trust in Christ. And in fact, Paul will unpack this because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us in chapter 8. If you read Romans chapter 8, you get to see the picture and you know that God's love and the Holy Spirit combined means that you will be held onto as you trust in Christ. That God's love isn't fickle. And his grasp upon the Christian who trusts in him isn't weak. The love of God is an unbreakable thing. And the gift of the Spirit is called a seal from God. So if you have the Spirit, the Spirit is like the stamp on that invitation to come into not only God's presence now, but to spend eternity in the new creation with God. It's your ticket with Christ. And notice in our passage these short few sentences that Paul notes 
that we have peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the Godhead, is at work in every Christian, in the church, reconciling us as sinners to Himself, bringing us into fellowship, into living fellowship with Himself. And notice also that these benefits come from faith to experience the love of God for sustaining hope for what is to come. This short passage is the hinge of the book of Romans. How the work of Christ has benefited the Christian just simply by how do you get over the problem of the law to all the benefits that are the Christian's. And it really doesn't matter how bad you were before Jesus. Because if you think that you were not such a great person, but you were better than so-and-so, that that's part of the reason why, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of me and a little bit of Jesus, and we're good. No, it is all of Jesus. It is all of Jesus. that we have access, that we have joy, that we have hope in the face of suffering, that our character will be shaped, that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite um, pastors, uh, well, not, not like he's with the Lord now, but said that the, the heart of religion, the whole point of religion is to be near unto God. So if you desire to be near unto God, Christ and faith are the means. And as you come into the presence of God, all sorts of things, benefits will flow to you from Christ. And it's not because you can show your report card. If you do show your report card, it should just say A plus, A plus, A plus, and then has Jesus' name there on the top. That's, that is the great hope of the Christian. I want to conclude by looking at Romans 8, because Paul is signaling to us that he's going to pick up on this. Romans 8 is a powerful and beautiful passage. that talks about and unpacks the benefits of both Jesus and the Spirit for the Christian. And I want to start reading in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's not holding back his son. He's got nothing else that's more precious to him. And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Remember in Job, Satan accuses that Job is a fair-weather friend of God. 
Who can accuse you before God? It is God who justifies. God justified you so that you can have peace with him. Who is to condemn? Christ could condemn you, for he was righteous, but Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us, right? He's the one who has granted us access. Christ stands there pleading for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, remember, sufferings, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is anchored to Christ, and we are anchored to Christ. And so we have this remarkable boast now that we can boast in the hope of the glory of God because He has been so good to us and so kind to us in reconciling us to himself in Christ. And there is nothing more important than this in this life. You may feel the pressure of a job, relationships, standing, being thought popular, cared for, loved by all, but there is nothing more important than the care and the love of God the Father and through his Son, poured into your life by the Holy Spirit. And we can beg the Lord to help us see that that is the most important thing, more than anything that we have in this life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We need your help. It is very easy for us to think of this life and this time as having the most pressing things that face us, but we know that ultimately it is things of eternity, and it is being reconciled to you, our Heavenly Father, that is our greatest need, and so often we forget it. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has never tasted of Christ, never trusted in him, that they would today come to him. And for those of us who have known Christ, whether for a short time or a long time, would remember that all the benefits that are ours, all the joys that we have in you really come from him and not from ourselves and not from our performance, not from what we've accomplished. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you would do that work in us. We very much need your mercy. Who can stand before thee, O Lord? 
So we pray that you would pour out your grace upon us in mercy and we would trust, trust in that mercy, trust that Christ is for us and that his righteousness, we are clothed in him. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.